Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything. I hope all you guys have had a great week. Friday is here, the weekend is here. Hopefully you have some awesome games lined up to play this week. And I'm hoping that the latest episode of Game Face helped guide you on which games to play this weekend. This show is technically a reward for those who pledge a $7 or more per month at that Ask Shane tier, but everybody gets to watch the archive. However, if you really enjoy watching the show and you like connecting on this one-to-one basis, it would be awesome if you could bump up your pledge to $7 or more per month at patreon.com sifted. Thanks to the people who are doing that, I feel good in continuing to do this show. Let's get to your awesome questions. First up, we have a question from Damon, EA. Shane, I have a baby inbound in December. Congratulations, that's really awesome and a big life change for you. I hope it all goes well. What are 10 narrative games from late last gen to this gen that I should make sure I play before my free time disappears? <laughs> uh, just finished the Jedi games, I finished all the Assassin's Creed games, I finished the Halo games, and I finished all the Grand Theft Auto games. Okay, first of all, Damon, congratulations. That is awesome. It's a huge milestone. Your life is about to change in so many ways, and almost all of them to the good. So congrats. And you're right, you do have a little bit of a grace period here to kind of get through some pop culture stuff before you end up staying up all night burping the baby. So let's see if I can help you here. I'm not going to list 10, because if I did, this episode of Ask Shane Anything would be like two days long. So I'm going to cut it down to like five or six, and I'm basing these on the games that you just told me that you've already played. So I'm guessing that's kind of in your wheelhouse of what you want to play. So I guess I would start off with the lowest hanging fruit, and to me the most obvious, which is Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm surprised that you haven't played that already, considering you're a big Grand Theft Auto fan. Maybe you have and you just failed to to list it, because it does seem like a no-brainer for you that you should play the game. Obviously, it's Metacritic. I think it's at like a 95 or something like that. So generally, most people love Red Den Redemption 2. And if you watched Game Face or any of the other coverage we've done on it, you know that I love it too, and I thought it was a great game. So the one caveat I would say about it, though, is that it's really long, and... That's what I would say in general, like if you're shooting to finish 10 games that you've kind of missed before December, while not playing all the other stuff that's coming out, I don't know how you're going to do it, Damon. That's a lot, man. So I think I would also say that maybe just adhere to the list that I'm going to give you, because otherwise I don't think you're going to get through all the games. So first up, Red Dead Redemption 2. But again, keep in mind, that's like a 40 or 50 hour game. For most people with a job and other responsibilities, that's like a month and a half. So, I don't know, if I give you five of those, you might be able to get them all done before December. I don't know, you're going to be cutting it close. So, I would say at the top of the list, Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, I will say this. It's not like a crazy, over-the-top action game. There's not a lot of funny in it, not a lot of levity. It is kind of a deathly serious Old West simulation in a lot of ways. So, keep that in mind before you start it. But if you are into that kind of stuff, it's a no-brainer. That should be your first pick. Um, my second one, I would say, and this is a little more on the outskirts, depend based upon what you said you've, you've already played, and that's Disco Elysium. You said narrative-driven games. Now, I'll admit, the games that you then listed aren't particularly narrative-driven games, but if you're really looking for that, Disco Elysium is probably the best example. And here's the thing about that game. People look at it, and it's not inviting like you look at that game you're like well things people kind of look a little ugly and there's this isometric view and it, i get it at first blush it doesn't look like an exciting game and i'll even admit the first hour or so of the game it it takes 
a special kind of person almost to get hooked by the first hour, but stick with it. And once you do, it will become one of the best narrative-driven games, honestly, that you've missed over the last five to ten years. And I should also mention that I am cutting off this list of games at ten years. So you said the end of last gen and this gen. This gen's now like three or four years old. End of last gen, three or four years old. So seven or eight years. I'm going to cut it at ten, though. So there might be a couple games here that are maybe a little bit older than you wanted. Um... So Disco Elysium is another one. The next one I would say is Starfield. <laughs> Again, I, I'm wondering if you just didn't share everything that you've played and maybe you are playing Starfield or you've played Starfield. The other caveat I should mention is that um, Damon mentioned that these games need to be playable on Xbox. So he has an Xbox. So I should mention that as well. Starfield. Um, if you haven't played it or haven't started playing it, you should definitely play it. Um, I will say this. It, I think it gives the appearance of being a narrative-driven game more than it actually is a narrative-driven game. Now, there are branching story stuff, and there's decisions you need to make and conversations and all that kind of thing. It's not as elastic as Baldur's Gate 3 in that way, but the plot is still there. It is still technically narrative-driven. Just It doesn't beat you over the head with it like I think a lot of people might assume. So, to me, Starfield just sitting there... Um, maybe you're just assuming that I assume that you had played it, but you didn't mention it in your question, so I definitely got to throw Starfield out there. And then the Resident Evil 4 remake. Um, I don't know how old you are, if you played the original Resident Evil 4 when it came out back in the early aughts. Um, if you did, I would still recommend playing the RE4 remake, because it is so different from the original game for GameCube. Um, so I highly recommend that you check that game out. It's one of my favorite games of the year, and it is kind of interesting now that the year is wearing on and I'm starting to play a lot of the games at the end of the year that I've been waiting for, that Resident Evil 4 Remake still holds up. It is just a great game flat out. So I would also recommend that one. And if you haven't played the other Resident Evil remakes, the Resident Evil 2 remake, the Resident Evil 3 Nemesis remake, those are all great too. And those are also, they all fill in, fall into that time frame that you're talking about. So any of the Resident Evil remakes, but I would definitely put the pin on Resident Evil 4. To me, it's easily the best of those three remakes. Um, and then going back a little bit further, Bioshock Infinite. Now I will admit, in hindsight, I'm a little surprised at how well that game reviewed when it came out. I think its Metacritic is like a 94 or a 95. Now, I wouldn't go that far. Hindsight's always 2020. And a lot of times when you look back on old games, they're never going to be as good as you remembered them when you played them for the first time. But I do think that Bioshock Infinite, even back then, I think maybe I looked at it like, yeah, these review scores are maybe a little too high. Still, the game is absolutely awesome. Now, I will say this. it's If you played the first couple Bioshocks, it is dissimilar to those in that it really is more of just a first-person shooter. But the truth of the matter is, is that, like, we don't get first-person shooters like that anymore. Thoughtful, interesting settings... Um, it just feels like there's not enough of those. Another game I would say that maybe compares a little bit to it is Atomic Heart. That just came out not that long ago. But there's no doubt that uh, Bioshock Infinite is the superior of those two games. You can probably find it now for next to nothing or really cheap. Um, it's truly a great game. And I do realize it's revisionist history. A lot of people have kind of slagged that game now that its time has worn on. It's still a great game. And it's still really unlike any other first-person shooter that's out there on the market. So I recommend that. And then finally, another obvious pick that you didn't mention, The Witcher 3. <laughs> it's amazing. And they just released um, like a next-gen version of it that plays on PS5 and Xbox Series that looks amazing. Not quite up to scratch with like it running on the very best PCs, but still it looks amazing. And I actually just went back and started playing it again 
on PlayStation 5 just to grab some B-roll of Witcher 3 so we had the best-looking B-roll we could get. And I got hooked on it all over again, and I'm getting sucked in for another 15 hours before something else came along and I had to stop. So Witcher 3, still a great game. There's still all that DLC out there, just amazing. If you haven't played that, I definitely recommend it. And then just finally, as an aside, Elden Ring. Have you played Elden Ring? <laughs> I guess maybe the better question is, have you played the Dark Souls games or Demon Souls or Bloodborne? Because that's really the, the question here. Like, there's no doubt that if you're into those types of games that Elden Ring is the best of all of them, at least in my opinion. It's definitely the one that I've played the most as someone who does not generally like those games. So I'm just throwing it out there. I do realize the Souls likes. It's an acquired taste. Some people love them. Some people hate them. I wish I liked them, but I don't. Um, so I would throw that out there if you haven't played that yet. Like, again, I'm not a big fan of that genre, that subgenre. And Elden Ring did get me to play it for like 20-some hours. So I think that's a pretty good sign that it's probably the best of the bunch. So that's another one I would throw out there. But most importantly, try to take a little bit of a time to get excited about the arrival of your child. Like, don't spend the whole time, all the free time that you have, hunkered down playing games, you know, feverishly trying to finish stuff. Uh, wondering if you're going to get it done before the baby gets there. Make sure you enjoy this time with your significant other. Um, it's exciting. It's something I've never been fortunate enough to experience, and I'm a little jealous of everybody who gets to. Um, so I think that should be really uh, an important part of your time leading up to December as well. But I do hope that you get through all these awesome games before all your time runs out. Next up, we have a question from the stand user. Someone I hope would ask more questions here and there. For Ash Shane, anything, he's a good dude, and I like to interact with him. We know that you've been to Japan plenty of times, but do you think you'd ever go back for a vacation? Tokyo is great and all. Personally, I'm not a fan, but like any country, it's more than its biggest and most well-known city. If you were to go back, where would you like to visit and why? First of all, I would love to go back to Japan anytime, any way possible. I would love to go back. I love the country. I love the people in the country. I love the aesthetics of the country. I love that I have so many common interests with the people of Japan. Uh, there's a lot to love about Japan. And to your point, I have been to Japan, I don't know, well over a dozen times. I don't even know how many times. I've never counted it. Well over a dozen times, I would say. And I've only been to Tokyo. I've never left Tokyo. Now, obviously, if you've ever been to Tokyo, there's you actually land at an airport that's way far away from Tokyo. And so you inevitably get that hour-long bus ride or whatever from the airport into the city. And you get to see a little bit of what Japan's like outside of Tokyo, but not much. And you're right, like, I really don't have a clue what it's like outside of Tokyo when it really comes down to it. So to answer your question, yes. And here's the other thing, too, is that my wife has never been there, and she loves Asia, and she would love to go to Tokyo, but she doesn't recommend it because she knows that I've been there so many times. So I think eventually I'm going to surprise her, and I'm going to say, okay, we, we can go to Tokyo together. And that's the problem, really, is that I have a wife, and I have to consider her with all the stuff that I do and the decisions that I make. And if we're going to Japan... She's going to want to go to Tokyo. And I think you would understand that too. So that's kind of the problem. But I do think that I could convince her if we had enough time and money to do a trip for like two weeks in Japan to maybe do five, six days in Tokyo and then head out of Tokyo and go somewhere else. And if I were to do that, the first place I would go is Kyoto. I, I think that's typical for most people who visit Japan. Um, there's a lot of things there that I would love to see, and I've never been there. I'd love to just cruise by Nintendo's headquarters and check those out. Um, I'd love to see what it's like in Japan just outside the hustle and bustle of Tokyo. Now, I realize Kyoto is also a pretty big city, um, and there's some hustle and bustle going on there. But I watch videos on YouTube about Japan all the time, um, and it is a little more laid back, a little... 
a little more easy to digest. Um, the first time in Tokyo for anybody is like, it's like culture shock. Um, and I think my wife will go through the same thing. I think most people do. I think that's why the movie um, Lost in Translation exists, because a lot of people feel that way when they go to Japan. Um, but I would love to. And I would love to visit you, because I think you live near Kyoto, if I remember correctly. Um, and we have a few people that are sifters that live in Japan. I would love to pop out of Tokyo and be able to visit some other people who have been supporting us for so long, including you. Um, but to answer your question, basically, yes, I would love to go other places in Japan. There are some things that keep it from happening, um, but I love the country. I love the people. Um, I would love to spend more time there if I can before my time on this earth is done. All right, our last question for today's episode comes from someone who gets a question in every episode of Ash Ain't Anything, and of course, that is Kevin. What is your overall take on DLC? Do you like it? Would you prefer developers move on instead of doing DLC? Is there any DLC that stands out to you? I think you guys can see why I answer one of Kevin's questions every episode, because let's just be honest, his questions are excellent. Like this, it gets harder. Um, it gets harder for me to remember what questions I've answered already. I do have like a little bit of a database running that I can do like a query on to see if some of the things I've answered before. But I know for a fact there's at least a couple questions I have answered multiple times, and I try to do that if if time has moved on and my perspective has changed a little bit. But it's hard. But Kevin, he manages to come up with great questions that I have not been asked before, like over and over again. So Kevin, props to you, man. You do a great job, and I really appreciate you taking the time and asking questions for the show. So now on to your question. Um, what is my overall take on DLC? I would say... It's evolved over time. So when hard drives were first um, included in video game consoles, I was nervous about it. I really thought that what would happen was developers would get very lazy and they would release broken games. Games with lots of bugs, games with terminal bugs, games with issues that we hadn't experienced up to that point when a developer and a publisher had to put the final version on a disc and make sure it was bug-free before that happened. Now, it's kind of like this blurry moving line where they're like, well, the game is done, but it's not really done. Uh, we know there's a bunch of bugs in there, but we'll let like the people who pay for the game bug test. As it turns out, I've actually kind of been right. My fears have been realized. That is what has happened. Developers and publishers, I would say they've got lazy, but Making games has become so much more complicated. I just feel like they've allowed certain things to go out into their games that they wouldn't have before the advent of hard drives and DLC. So, to rewind, um, when everything first launched with hard drives and DLC and everything, I was very skeptical. And to be fair, the first DLC, most of it was trash. I mean, there's, there's a reason why there's memes about horse armor that still float around the internet today, because the first attempts at DLC were pretty crummy. However... As time has gone on, I've learned to at least appreciate DLC. Now, the one thing I would say, too, is that, like, I probably play way less DLC than pretty much any of you guys and girls watching this. Um, for me, I have to play so many games, and all of them are so long now. It's like, once you spend 40 or 50 hours with something, it's like, I'm kind of good. <laughs> like, the DLC has to be something extraordinary to get me to go back. So, for example, just this week... Um, Resident Evil 4 is launching the Ada Wong Separate Ways DLC, and I probably should want to play that, but I'll be honest with you, like, one, I don't have the time, and two, my interest is just kind of there. I kind of played through that content back in the OG Resident Evil 4 days, and so it's not very exciting for me. Now, another big thing that's coming out right now is the Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty DLC. It has been quite a while since I played Cyberpunk 2077, but... I spent like 60 hours with that game to finish it. And 
for me, a lot of the time, I understand the average consumer is like, I spent 70 or $60 on this game, and I want to get as much playtime out of it as I can, and if I can just spend another 10 bucks to play it for another 10 or 15 hours, that's cool with me. I'm different, and again, it's because of what I do for a living. Um, so, I'll be honest with you, I really don't care that much about DLC. Like, you can tell that Matt and I, we don't play it that often. Like, a lot of times we don't cover it on Game Face. And to be fair, most outlets really don't either. Most outlets generally don't publish reviews for DLC. Because I think, ultimately, a lot of you guys are a lot like us. Like, you may have a game like Horizon Forbidden West that sells 10 million copies, but the DLC for it maybe will move, like, a million copies or whatever. So you're getting, like... 10% penetration of the initial sales of the game, which shows that you guys aren't all that interested in going back into a world either after you've already spent 40 or 50 hours there. So, again, my opinions of DLC change over time. I do appreciate that it's there for the people who are really hardcore fans of a franchise and just can't get enough of it. And I know that there are people out there like that. I mean, there are a lot of people who only play one game. So, I understand why it's there, and I appreciate it that it's there for those people. It's just generally not really for me, and it just doesn't fit into my schedule. Now, some of the best or my favorite DLC of all time. This is a tough one. I had to think about this one. I generally don't prepare um, for answers in this show, but for this question, I did. I really had to go back and kind of look at some things and try to remember the best DLC that I played. The first one I would come up with is The Last of Us Left Behind, and... I, well, the reason I really like that is because the DLC actually takes place in the space of the base game. It's like, a lot of DLC is like what happened after the base game. But the stuff with Joel and Ellie in that DLC actually happens in a window that was inside the time frame of the base game. Which I thought was really cool. Adds more context, more feeling, more meaning to their relationship. But really the most important part was that DLC finally did expose what a lot of people suspected. Which was the uh, sexual orientation of Ellie, um, which is a huge, huge moment for the franchise in general. And so important stuff happening in that DLC. The other thing I would say, too, is that like a lot of DLC, the developers are nervous about including really important story beats in it generally because they're afraid no one's going to play it and they're just going to totally miss it and not know what's going on with the plot for the sequel, etc., etc. So... That, that DLC in particular was just like, screw that. Like, we're going to have one of the biggest revelations in franchise history inside the DLC. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Next up, Mass Effect 3, The Citadel. Um, a lot of people complained about the ending of Mass Effect 3, thought it was unfulfilling. Um, people had spent, you know, 100 hours or more playing through all three Mass Effect games, and then it gets tied up in this unsatisfying way. People were angry. I feel like the Citadel was like the, the bone to those people. I, I thought it tied up the, the game and the franchise better than the games did themselves. Um, the whole DLC kind of centers around like throwing a party basically for all the people that you spent the last hundred hours with in the games. I think that's great. Um, I remember when video games used to be that way. Like you get to the end and like all Nintendo games used to do this. All the characters that you would come across throughout the game are there and they're all having fun and partying like... I miss that about video games. They don't really do that stuff anymore. But the Citadel kind of was that in a more modern sense. So I thought that was really good stuff. Um, and then, honestly, the first DLC that I really remember that really made an impact on me, it made me realize that, okay, maybe DLC is going to be all right, was Grand Theft, uh, Grand Theft Auto 4, The Ballad of Gay Tony. And up until that point, I was very skeptical of DLC because most of it had been abysmal or, you know, meme-worthy. 
Um, but this was the first one where I was like, okay, this this is what it's supposed to be because it added deep context to a character from Grand Theft Auto 4 that I wouldn't say was glazed over, but you never really got to know him very well. Um, you knew, Well, I'll say this. You knew him one way in the base game, and then you learned to know him another way in the DLC. It just added so many layers of depth to the character, and now Gay Tony is like in the pantheon of Grand Theft Auto characters, and I think it's because of that DLC. And again, I really think it was the first story-based DLC that really showed what it could do, and now it could add context, and again, not create these plot points that people might miss that are important later on. So Ballad of Gay Tony, to me, a trailblazer DLC in the industry and really important to the industry. And then there's the Elder Scrolls IV, Oblivion, the Shivering Isles, which basically added like an entire campaign like onto the game. Like I never even finished it. Like I got like 15 or 20 hours into the DLC and I had to move and do something else. Like it was that big and gigantic. And I think that one showed that a developer who's really dedicated to DLC, it's not even like DLC anymore. It's like an expansion pack, like for the old PC gamers out there. Um, and so I thought it was it was excellent. I thought it had different shades of things that the base game didn't have while still giving me more of what I wanted. Um, and again, that's a tough task, you know, after someone's played like 70 hours of Oblivion to get him to jump back in for 20 or more hours. So the value proposition of... Um, Shivering Isles, I thought, you know, was a harbinger of hopefully things to come. I was like, okay, like you can get a lot of value out of DLC if the publisher and the developer are on board. So to me, a landmark DLC release. And then finally, I talked about this game a little bit earlier when I was answering Damon's question about games to play before his baby comes along. And that is The Witcher 3 Blooded Wine. Um, It might be the best DLC ever, in all honesty. Um, The Witcher 3 already one of the greatest RPGs, greatest games ever. And then the DLC Blood and Wine just, I don't know, it was like the icing on the cake for the amazing base game. Um, it introduces a brand new land that Geralt travels to. Um, it has its own plot line that's just as good as the plot lines that are in the main game. And again, don't forget, the side quests in The Witcher 3 are already amazing. Um, so it had a high bar to cross, and it managed to do that. Um, it also, I felt like the, the ending of Geralt's story in the base Witcher 3 was not great. I felt it could have been handled way better. And Blood and Wine fixed all that. Like, if indeed, in the next Witcher game, it is not Geralt, which I think at this point it's a known fact that it's not going to be Geralt, I think Blood and Wine was a great way to close out his saga. There you go. That's another episode of Ask Shane Anything. Again, I hope all you guys and girls had a great week, and I hope you guys have an awesome weekend of fun and games planned. Uh, Pretty much for the rest of this year, it is going to be awesome. Just great games every week. I think maybe the second week of December, things finally cool off. But for the rest of the year, it's going to be awesome. So I can't wait to to, uh, get all the questions from you guys about all the games that are coming out. Um, Again, this show is technically a a reward for those of you who pledge. It's $7 or more per month at the Ask Shane tier. Everybody ultimately gets to watch the show. But I will say this. If you are pledging at that tier and I'm looking at two questions for the show and I feel like they're both equal, just being honest with you, I'm going to choose the person who's pledging the higher higher dollar amount. I think everybody can understand why we would do that. So anyway, thanks to everybody who's pledging anything on our Patreon. We really, really appreciate it. Again, I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Tuesday for Game Face.